2: or text WONDERYPOD Pod to 500 500.
3: Good morning. I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning. A delicate constitutional question flared up this past week. Do transgender people have the right to use the restroom that they feel matches their identity? Mark Strassman will explore that issue in our cover story. And then it's on to a young man who is making a remarkable recovery against intimidating odds. Just keep going is his personal motto. Lee Cowan will tell us why.
4: There was a time when doctors were saying that Dylan Rizzo, suffering massive brain injuries, would probably never walk or talk again. So how do you explain this? this? You never gave up, huh? No. And your parents never gave up? I guess not. That was three years ago. Look at him now. There we go. Dylan's silent mind and how it awoke ahead on Sunday morning.
3: Mouthing off is usually an unwelcome behavior, unless it's being done by a man named Fred Newman. With Jane Pauley, we'll give him a listen.
5: What Fred Newman actually does for a living is hard to say.
6: We're playing basketball.
5: His special gifts found a perfect home, on Public Radio's Prairie Home Companion, with Garrison Keillor.
6: so far beyond what we ordinarily would do in, in radio. A submarine surfaced. I'm really doing what I used to
7: do behind teachers' backs and getting paid for it.
5: Fred Newman, the maestro of sound, ahead on Sunday morning.
3: We've received a postcard from Morocco with some unusual activity in the trees. Center is correspondent Jonathan Vigliotti.
8: Argan oil, it's popping up in everything from cosmetics to certain foods, but you might be surprised where it comes from. So goats in trees, it's like a Moroccan mirage.
9: Yeah, the first time I came to Morocco and I saw these goats climbing the trees, I thought I was hallucinating.
8: She wasn't. Later on Sunday morning, a visit to Morocco where these goats are pointing the way to a billion-dollar industry.
3: Rachel Maddow is a cable news headliner, rarely afraid to speak her mind, not afraid to pursue a pastime some fans might find surprising. She talks this morning with Rita Braver.
10: Uh, We've got some breaking political news tonight.
11: As a self-confessed politics nerd, Rachel Maddow is having the time of her life. (laughs) <laughs>
10: what do you make of this year? Um, everybody thought this was going to be a boring year. And this is the universe giving that a one-finger salute.
11: <laughs> Later on Sunday morning, straight shooting with Rachel Maddow.
3: Mo quizzes a young geography whiz. Steve Hartman watches a dad change his daughter's life by a hair. We'll salute our colleague Morley Safer upon his retirement. (laughs) Ahead, he's got a secret. And...
12: You can do this. You can do it, Dylan.
3: Dylan Rizzo's Long Road Back.
1: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: Which public school restroom should a transgender person use? The Obama administration says it should be the one that matches a student's gender identity. That came after a lawsuit North Carolina filed following action taken against it by U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Our cover story is reported by Mark Strassman.
5: This is about the dignity and the respect that we accord our fellow citizens and the laws that we as a people and as a country have enacted to protect them, indeed to protect all of us. Joaquin
13: Carcano wants that protection. The 27-year-old activist living in Raleigh, North Carolina, was born a girl. Last year, he transitioned into what he believes is his proper gender, a man who sees himself at war
14: with his own state. As trans individuals, for me personally, there's always a fear that you sort of carry with you. And so that is a part of it, definitely, but that goes for any sort of space you navigate in. Um, But I have never had an issue going into a restroom, coming out. And what
13: message in this law was the governor and the legislature, do you think, sending to you?
14: That we're not welcome, that, you know, they don't want to believe we exist. North Carolina is sending a message that we are not in a welcoming area.
13: North Carolina's public bathrooms are the new frontier in American civil rights law. That's because almost two months ago, state lawmakers passed a bill saying transgender people have to use the bathroom which matches the gender on their birth certificate backlash was immediate and fierce from fortune 500 corporations celebrity critics like bruce springsteen and president obama
1: i also think that the laws that have been passed there are wrong and should be overturned
13: but the law's supporters insist it was enacted to protect women and girls both their privacy and their risk of attack from sexual predators
6: our nation is dealing with a very new, complex, and emotional issue. How to balance the
13: expectations of privacy and equality. Last Monday, Governor Pat McCrory, a Republican up for re-election, announced his state would sue the Obama administration. He was responding to the Department of Justice charge that North Carolina is violating civil rights law which could cost the state almost $5 billion in federal aid. We believe a court
6: rather than a federal agency should tell our state, our nation and
13: employers across the country what the law requires. In many ways, this battle is the latest chapter in a story that has its roots in the Supreme Court's landmark Obergefell decision last June, which guaranteed same-sex couples the right to marry. JUST SINCE THE BEGINNING OF THIS YEAR, LAWMAKERS IN 34 STATES HAVE PROPOSED SO-CALLED BATHROOM BILLS AND RELIGIOUS FREEDOM LAWS THAT CRITICS SAY TARGET GAY, LESBIAN AND TRANSGENDER PEOPLE. THESE STATE ACTIONS DESCEND FROM A LITTLE-KNOWN BIPARTISAN BILL SIGNED INTO LAW BY PRESIDENT CLINTON BACK IN 1993.
3: THE FREE EXERCISE OF RELIGION HAS BEEN CALLED THE FIRST FREEDOM, THAT WHICH ORIGINALLY SPARKED THE DEVELOPMENT OF THE FULL RANGE of the Bill of Rights.
13: The Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RFRA, prohibited the government from unduly interfering in the way Americans express religious beliefs.
15: It's really hard to explain what was happening. Basically, the civil rights groups dropped the ball. Everybody was just so excited about religious freedom. How could you be opposed to religious freedom? But the very smart, very conservative evangelical groups knew what their agenda was.
13: Marcy Hamilton teaches constitutional law at the University of Pennsylvania. She argues RIFRA, in effect, granted a license to discriminate.
15: And it's tilted the balance so that people now have a concept that whatever they believe, they can get around the law. When I go to a stop sign, it just doesn't matter that I'm Presbyterian. I got to stop at the stop sign. But now every law is under attack uh, because of this message of complete liberty.
13: Baronelle Stutzman treasures that liberty. She's the owner of Arlene's Flowers, a 35-year-old family-run business in Richland, Washington. Rob Ingersoll was a favorite customer who shopped here for nearly a decade.
9: He's so much fun, I so enjoyed working with him. He has a really creative mind, and he would come in, and he'd pick out these unusual vases or containers and tell me what the event was for, and then he'd say, just do your thing.
13: Three years ago, Ingersoll, who is gay, asked Stutzman, a 71-year-old devout Christian, to do the flowers for his wedding.
9: I just put my hands on his and I said, Rob, I'm sorry I can't do your wedding because of my relationship with Jesus Christ.
13: Why couldn't you do it?
9: Because my faith teaches me that marriage is between a man and a woman, and it symbolizes Christ and his relationship with the church. As much as I love Rob, my love for Christ is more important.
13: If your lifestyle offends me, why should I be obligated to provide a service when I'm not comfortable
15: with you as a person? Because that's how the free market works. When you walk into Best Buy, nobody should be asking you what your religion is, or what your sexual orientation is, or what you did yesterday. It's Jim Crow. It's just that there are different targets at this point for some of the people. And the targets are? Targets are the LGBTQ community, sadly. Not just same-sex couples. The entire community is being targeted. Well, I
16: think what we're seeing is an unprecedented attack against people of faith who have religious beliefs.
13: Kristen Wagoner leads a team of lawyers at Alliance Defending Freedom. This advocacy group represents Christian conservatives and has advised several states drafting religious freedom laws.
16: It has nothing to do with how someone identifies in terms of being LGBT or saying that they're straight.
13: Gay marriage is the objection. Yes. That's what this is really all about.
16: I think that there's a more fundamental principle, which is whether we will continue to allow a diversity of viewpoints or we will allow the government to personally and professionally ruin someone because of a religious conviction they have.
13: Do you understand why some critics see this as extreme?
16: I don't understand why it's extreme to say that you wouldn't want to force someone to engage in speech and promote messages that violates their religious convictions, or why it would be extreme that you would want to live and let live and let other people who have a diverse viewpoint or a different viewpoint on marriage live consistently with that belief.
13: But Marcy Hamilton says the law on this matter is clear.
15: What these individuals are arguing now in these groups is that they have rights in order to be able to discriminate against others. But the rights that they're talking about are made up. They are not rights from the Constitution.
13: In the case of Baronelle Stutzman, Rob Ingersoll and his partner, backed by the ACLU, sued her for discrimination. Washington State's Attorney General also filed suit, claiming she broke Washington's anti-discrimination law. And a state court ruled against her. Stutzman is appealing but says potential damages could reach seven figures and bankrupt her business. She says she has also had menacing calls and emails. Did you feel threatened? Yes, sir. Genuinely threatened? Yes, sir. How many death threats?
9: I, I don't know, a few.
13: <laughs> Too many? Yeah. Yeah. But in states like North Carolina, it's people like Joaquin Carcano who feel threatened. To you, this
14: goes well beyond Bathrooms. Oh, definitely. I mean, I I believe bathrooms are just sort of a a cover for the the real attack here. And I think it's just it's pure hostility.
13: Not long ago, the Washington state attorney offered to drop the lawsuit against Baronelle Stutzman if she paid a $2,000 fine and agreed to do flowers for gay weddings. And you said,
9: No, my freedom's not for sale.
13: Even though that would have made it all go away.
9: I have a constitutional right that gives me the right to create and to live my freedom and live my faith. And everybody has that freedom. But once they start taking that away from us, then we don't have anything. We don't live in a free America when they can come in and do that.
11: Now don't get all
10: uptight.
3: Next, a real mouthful.
1: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
11: Come on, Margo, move, move.
1: Lucille, he treats me like I had bad breath. Bad
5: breath is no joke. That's why I keep Listerine around.
3: And now, a page from our Sunday morning almanac.
5: It's more than a mouthwash.
3: More? May 15th, 1923, 93 years ago today. Listerine antiseptic, more than a mouthwash. A date to a take your more. breath away. For that was the day the Lambert Pharmaceutical Company was awarded a trademark for Listerine. Named for the English doctor Joseph Lister, the pioneer in antiseptics, Listerine was first marketed for surgical use in the 1880s by a pharmacist named Jordan Lambert. In 1914, Listerine became the first over-the-counter mouthwash. Its big breakthrough came in the 1920s with the launch of a hugely successful advertising campaign playing up the threat of halitosis, a fancy word for bad breath. With classic print ads such as, often a bridesmaid, never a bride, Listerine offered hope to anyone facing social ostracism because of his or her bad breath. Not that Listerine limited itself to the scourge of halitosis alone. Other ads over the years claimed its efficacy against a host of maladies. Sore throat, ringworm, even dandruff. Tonight he's entertaining. An old flame. Luckily, strong-tasting Listerine antiseptic mouthwash kills the germs that can cause bad breath. But it's the simple theme of social acceptance through better breath that Listerine has stressed during its television years. Listerine antiseptic mouthwash. Hello.
0: (laughs) Strong enough to take your breath
3: away. Today, after a series of mergers and acquisitions, Listerine is made by Johnson & Johnson and comes in a rainbow of colors and varieties. Though some of us still miss that plain paper wrapper the bottle used to come in. postcard from Morocco is just ahead. There's an exotic elixir cropping up on store shelves that has a most curious origin in a far-off corner of the world. As we learn from this postcard from Morocco, sent to us by Jonathan Vigliotti.
8: The sounds of Morocco come in many forms. From the music that reverberates through the bustling markets... To the tuk-tuks and cars that congest the streets. But 80 miles west of Marrakesh, in the countryside of Esuira, there's tranquility in the enchanting Argan forest. These sun-kissed trees were once at risk of being wiped out for lumber. Today, they are a lifeline. And the pioneers have hooves. The goats of Morocco have an extraordinary skill. With the finesse of a tightrope walker, they scale up the precarious branches. It's terrifying that they can get that high without a fear of falling. It's a Darwinian talent goats developed to reach what was dangling on the other end of the stick, argan fruit. The nut contains the valuable argan oil known for its anti-aging properties. It's popping up in everything, from shampoo and body lotion to food products. But nowhere on the labels will you find the full story behind how this oil was born. So goats in trees, it's like a Moroccan mirage.
9: Yeah, the first time I came to Morocco and I saw these goats climbing the trees, I thought I was hallucinating.
8: Along these roads, it is normal to see hundreds of goats in trees. And as Ahmed and Gabrielle Geruda show me, this is where their New York-based argan oil brand, Moroccan Elixir, takes root.
9: They're basically eating the fruit and digesting it. And then they either spit it up or poop it out. (laughs) But the- Poop
12: it out.
8: (laughs) Uh You heard that right. Centuries ago, locals discovered the goat's digestive tract made it easier to crack the argan fruit's nut so they could reach the oil trapped inside. The only catch, the nuts we're like, we're like, we're need to be collected to by hand. Oh, here's one, that's one. Yeah, that's one. <laughs> that's a little goat a little poop. poop. Yeah. And then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're just getting right into it. And then, and, and we then did, collecting dozens bush. of nuts that went in oh, no, one yeah. end and came out the other. So this is how it starts. That's how it starts in the tree. And it comes out as this. And it comes yeah.
7: out
4: like that. So, guys, welcome to Marjana Co-op.
8: The Marjana Cooperative is one in a number of argan oil production sites run by Berber women. You won't find fancy machines here, or any machine for that matter.
17: So that's actually, that the production room.
8: Every ounce so of oil uh, is pressed by hand. It's an ancient recipe. The nut is cracked, the seeds extracted. They are then ground into a thick paste using the traditional stone wheel. Water is added and tediously mixed and finally filtered into this golden liquid. Just how much time goes into it? Well,
13: I mean, it takes like actually around 40 hours of labor work.
8: 40 hours? 40
13: hours to
8: make one oil, one liter of uh, argan oil. 40 After hours for one, for one liter.
9: After the goats have done their <coughs> work. <Yeah.
8: laughs> one argan tree can only produce one liter of oil a year. It's one of the reasons the precious oil earned the name liquid gold. So what does this golden goat oil taste like? So, so this is culinary oil yeah. made with the help of goats. Ooh,
4: we dip the
18: bread. I think it's like mm. it tastes
8: it's like nuts. It tastes like peanut. I'm oh like, I taste peanuts. I don't taste any trace of goat. <laughs> no. Today, because of demand fueled by celebrity users like Angelina Jolie and Giselle Bündchen, one liter of pure argan oil sells for up to $300. It's some of the most expensive oil in the world. Practically overnight, Berber women went from poor housewives to businesswomen with a steady income. Each co-op worker gets a percentage of the profits. That makes Ahmed a hometown hero for the demand he brings into Marjana and oil producers like Khadija Taboka, (laughs) who he first met when he was a teenager. Khadija, who's 86 years old now, has been making argan oil since she was a child. She said, like, uh, before, I was like, the life was very hard, like, was like almost no income. But thanks to argan oil, she bought a house and traveled. She's even paid for a brand new set of teeth. And there is plenty of wealth being spread around Essaouira. All across town, you'll see signs advertising argan oil businesses, along with busloads of tourists who pour in to buy the oil. But that means the goats are now struggling to keep up with the demand. After all, they can only process so much fruit. As a result, most local companies have started phasing out the goats and even replaced some Berber women's traditional roles with machines, which can produce 40 liters per day compared to two liters when done by hand. Some people start businesses to make money. It sounds like you started this business as a passion to give back. I appreciate the culture, actually, and I appreciate uh, what those women's doing. What point do you sell out? Uh, I don't think I would
13: sell out anyway, I mean, at any, any point. When I see a bottle of oil, that is like, that bottle has, like, a lot of work of women. It has, like, good quality oil. It has a story behind it.
8: A story that begins in these Moroccan treetops and ends in shops like Ahmed and Gabrielle's in New York City. They could be the last few drops of an ancient Moroccan tradition, unable to keep up with modern demands.
3: Still to come, cable news host Rachel Maddow.
10: More often than not, if a story is here on this show before it is anywhere else, really, it is in your local paper. Support your local paper.
6: And a spitz (laughs) and a chihuahua. (laughs) And but they, first... And they performed my favorite things. He gets paid for this.
1: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
6: And they put Fred into the nose cone of a Polaris
3: missile. <laughs> It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Charles Osgood. That's Fred Newman mouthing off with Garrison Keillor on Radio's A Prairie Home Companion. Newman is a man with a thousand voices and a million sounds. He shares a few of them with our Jane Pauley.
6: I hear that old piano
5: from down the avenue. For more than 40 years, a Prairie Home Companion with Garrison Keillor has been a Saturday night ritual for millions, gathered around the radio.
6: Oh, my sweet, sweet, sweet someone. And as they dance the night away, they're doing the tango.
5: It's an old-fashioned variety show performed by a family of troubadours.
6: Well, here we are in Lenox, Massachusetts. Yeah, Massachusetts. Fred ah.
5: Newman is the maestro of sound No.
7: Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a chiropractic move for you,
5: okay? Yeah. Okay Remember yeah, It's radio. Hey Jane. <laughs> yeah. What Fred Newman actually yeah. does for a living nice is hard to say.
7: That was the thing that drove my mother crazy. She just needed something at Bridge Club. What does your son do? Boom. I'm really doing what I used to do behind teachers' backs
6: and getting paid for it.
7: This thing where you actually run in place, and you'll go...
6: Fred has harnessed his weirdness. Nobody else could do dolphins as Fred can. They want to see dolphins do the Gettysburg Address. Nobody else in radio could ever do helicopters. So the chopper could come in and pick him up.
5: Newman makes most of the sounds with his mouth, so Keeler is free to improvise.
6: A submarine
7: surfaced. and And so Garrison does that. When we go out, let's do something with office supplies. And, you know, the next thing I know of, my tie
6: is... <laughs> he's caught in a Xerox machine, you know. You were playing basketball and tennis. <laughs> it's nothing but fun to be able to challenge Fred's a genius because he's, he's so far beyond what we ordinarily would do in, in radio. Two rats, one of whom has the hiccups. A show that I did by myself would be too high-minded. And, you know, so we bring in somebody who can do primates. And, you know?
5: The guy we associate with sound is primarily a listener.
7: That's for sure.
5: And this is his listening post. There's only one easy way to get out here. A bright red kitchen chair on a branch reaching out over a pond at his Connecticut home.
7: It goes from birds to amphibians, amphibians to birds. And there's a whole vocabulary of frogs, equally as beautiful as the birds.
5: There was a similar spot in his childhood home.
7: We lived on the edge of town, on the lake. You'd hear the dog. Mama, somebody's come up the driveway. These weren't interruptions, these were opportunities. Sounds were, oh, the cows are out. And then there were the bugs.
5: Fred Newman grew up in the deep south, LaGrange, Georgia, in the 50s.
7: We had a black maid, her name was Dot. And Dot introduced me to a little store called Jack Fling's Cash and Carry Grocery Store. The currency there was stories. And uh, blacks and whites mixed just to cool off, get a cold Coca-Cola, you know, a big orange, and and it would tell stories.
5: And perform some astonishing tricks.
7: Fred the Yardman could swallow lit cigars, like that, pop it in his mouth. And then he'd take a Coca-Cola and swallow, like this, and then he'd blow smoke out of his nose. And he went,
5: oh, my gosh. And at five years old, Fred Newman had found his calling
7: dad i want to swallow lit cigars for a living like
5: <laughs> fred the Yardman. that's good son you aim high <laughs> the maestro of sound learned from the masters like the old man called snipes
7: fred you ever watched the water drip watch it all the way down and i watched it come down poof, poof. and the two sounds it goes poof, it blows a hole and then it goes whoop i said how you do see what you do you breathe through your nose So you're making your mouth into a cup you just tap on your cheek, and what you're going to do is you're going to push the water out, like if you're brushing your
5: teeth, so... After that, he started collecting sounds.
7: What do you think that is?
5: Some old tools of the trade.
7: It's a, a flock of starlings.
5: Others he's fashioned himself.
7: It actually was an instrument that broke. This is a tuna can. can. You're exactly right.
5: Making music that almost defies description. Mm -hmm.
7: Just bottle caps flattened.
5: Or something that might sound familiar. Remember Doug from the 90s? Fred Newman co-wrote the music, did the sound effects, and many of the voices for the animated hit show. And when Hollywood needs a really special effect, Fred Newman's phone rings.
7: Hello, hey, how you doing? This is uh, Joey. We got his movie with uh, Sandra Bullock and uh, Nicole Kidman, and his frog swallows a wedding band. Can you do that sound of a frog? (laughs) Swallowing the web and then throwing it up—could you do that? I said, "Yeah, I could. I could do that." Could you do it right now? It's nine o'clock in the morning. I'm in my PJs, you know. I go, "Yeah, okay." So, uh...
6: people up on ladders were washing windows.
5: On a prairie home, Fred Newman has found a perfect home for his unique gifts.
11: My daddy barks in me ass, Mrs. Lewis. Oh, I see. Uh,
5: why? I don't know. Let me ask you this, honey. Do you feel safe at home? And in Garrison Keeler, a perfect collaborator.
7: There are moments that we have out there that things are not exactly spoken, but this communication through his eyebrows... To a or something that I know that it's got to be a little bit bigger.
6: Picked <laughs> up by a farmer on a farm all tractor. Meep, 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 and own in here I didn't know if tractors had horns, but, but that's great. Just you ride this thing like a surfboard. It's just wonderful. Run into other tractors out in the soybean field? I don't know.
7: I always say it's, it is just a big piece of jazz.
6: I love being around musicians,
5: all those good looking luck- But Garrison Keeler is stepping away from the mic at the end of the season. and this unique collaboration will end. BUT ON A PLAYFUL NOTE.
6: I'M AVAILABLE FOR WEDDINGS AND FUNERALS.
4: Okay. GOING TO THE
5: CHAPEL. YOU TOO. BECAUSE I'M GOING TO THE CHAPEL mm. AND WE'RE GONNA GET MARRIED GOING TO THE CHAPEL AND WE'RE GONNA GET married.
1: Thank you, Fred.
6: Very nice space.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: Just keep going. Words that are easy to say, much harder to live by. Yet one young man who suffered a near fatal injury is managing to live by that principle and then some. Lee Collin has his story.
19: Not very good, but get done.
4: Despite what Dylan Rizzo may say, his bowling skills are actually pretty good. Yeah, Dale. Especially when you consider what Dylan has been through. (laughs) No. Did you guys ever have a doubt that he'd be back having beers with you guys? No.
10: It wasn't necessarily a doubt. The reports that we were getting from the parents were, you know, he shouldn't be alive right now. Five
4: years ago, Dylan Rizzo, then 19, was driving to his friend Ryan's house to play video games. But his car hit a patch of black ice and he spun sideways into a telephone pole. His parents, Steve and Tracy, got the call every parent fears.
19: The pole seemed to hit him directly in the head. And uh, from there, he went forward and hit the windshield and had more damage on the other side. So he had an impact side, first impact, and then a second impact.
10: Where the driver sat, where Dylan sat, there was a big indentation in the car. He was
4: rushed to Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Within an hour, neurosurgeons had removed the left side of his skull and part of the right to make room for his brain to swell. But Dylan had slipped into a deep coma. Do you guys remember the first time you saw him? But I just remember standing and not being able to move my feet. I wasn't going to pass out, but it was just extremely surreal.
10: We didn't really know what to think because we didn't really know what was going to happen.
4: Dylan had been an athlete. He was an accomplished track star and rooted passionately for his Linfield High pioneers. Dylan's, the one with the O, painted on his chest. But the accident had done a shocking amount of damage to his brain. Dylan remained in his coma for more than two weeks. He did finally open his eyes, but while he was technically awake, he wasn't aware of his surroundings. He had transitioned into what's called a vegetative state. A month later, there hadn't been much improvement. Doctors broke the news to his parents that unless he came out of it soon, Dylan would likely stay in that vegetative state for life.
14: And our family
10: was in the waiting room. Everyone was waiting. And I said, we can't come out and tell our family that. I
14: can't even say these words. I can't say it.
4: But this man, Joseph Giacino, not a medical doctor but a researcher brought in to study the case, thought that Dylan's brain might just need more time.
19: We were sort of lumping everyone into this vegetative state category.
4: He's a neuropsychologist at Boston's Spaulding Rehabilitation Hospital and is among a growing number of experts warning of what he calls a rush to judgment in cases of consciousness.
19: As many as 40% of individuals who have been diagnosed with vegetative state actually retain some conscious awareness. That's been a fairly alarming number.
4: He thought Dylan just might be one of those cases, and given the right therapy, might pull himself out of that fog.
19: The adage was the brain is not a muscle, so you know just simply by exercising it is not going to help it.
16: I want you to follow it with your eyes, Katie. Ready? Here we go.
19: Now there's evidence that if you do rehearsal of a particular behavior, including in a damaged brain, it may well get better.
12: What's the matter? Oh. You can do this. You can do
4: it, Dylan. Oh. This Dylan was moved to the pediatric already. unit it's at Spaulding Rehab, where they started working him hard.
12: One,
20: two, three, go.
4: They helped him stand. They tried to get him to walk, eventually even to climb stairs.
5: Do you think you want to step up with this one or this one?
19: He never said no to any challenge. Physically, anything you asked him to do, any medications, any shots, whatever it was.
4: It was two years after the accident when we met Dylan for the first time. Nice shot. Not in the nursing home, but back in his own home. Oh, no. The boy who wasn't supposed to be able to walk or talk took me down to his basement to play foosball. Oh. So <laughs> Very good, man. Very good. I mean, do you know how you've confounded all the experts? Yeah. You know that? I have, yeah. <laughs> Talking was difficult, but he certainly could string a few words together. I feel great. Yeah? Yeah. And you're making progress every day. Oh, yeah. And you can tell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm I'm good to see you. How are the pioneers doing this year?
4: His medical team was pleased, but not satisfied. Not yet, anyway.
1: It's so Aww. good to see you.
4: They kept pushing Dylan to work even harder. On this day, an occupational therapist was helping him make muffins. So,
14: muffin tin,
5: paper cups. Can okay. you find those?
4: His movements were slow, but with help.
14: All right, bell's gone off.
4: He did it. Every day you see something new that he's doing yeah. that he wasn't doing before. We watched as he learned to write again, too.
15: Nicely done.
4: Good. Yeah, it's not bad. And work on his memory.
15: Do you remember Mary Jane's email or her phone number? This is a tough one.
4: Jane at gmail.com.
15: Good, very good. Not beating you up too much.
4: <sighs> Through it all, even when it hurt, Dylan was always thumbs up. <laughs> this past summer, we decided to check back in on Dylan again and... Guess where we found him. You really seem to love it. I do love it. <laughs> I really do. Back at his high school track, where he's a volunteer assistant coach. Like on a scale of, of 1 to 10, where would you put your recovery, do you
19: think? Uh, probably an 8, yeah. 8 or a 9, yeah. I'm doing very well. Awesome. We went to the
4: YMCA with him, too, where Dylan does weight training at least once a week. There you go. Just tell me how, like when you're watching that, what are you thinking?
19: You know, it's amazing to see the amount of weight that he can actually lift because it took weeks and months just to be able to get him to lift his right arm. But that's not what Dylan is most proud
4: of. What have you noticed as the biggest improvement, you think?
21: I can talk much better. You can probably just go, uh, yeah.
4: And it was just awkward. You can have a conversation now yeah, and it. I can, yeah. Everything happens a lot quicker yeah, in your head. Yeah, a
19: little quicker. Slowly but surely, it's getting a little better. I'm good, but I'm not
17: that good. You looking pretty good to me.
19: Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but I'm just not that. I'm very intelligent, but I, don't, I want to be more intelligent. That's the difference.
17: If you see a question that's asking when, when? time. Time. Great. He's
4: the first to admit he's got a ways to go.
14: So this is a really nice improvement.
4: Yeah, it
15: is. You've done great.
10: Yeah,
15: it is.
10: Yeah.
4: Tracy, Dylan's mom, is careful to keep her expectations in check.
10: I want him to be able to take care of himself in the future. And I know he would love to have a family someday, so that's something I'm hoping will happen for him. That's
4: the goal Yeah. That's the next goal. It's just more independence.
10: More independence and a girlfriend. He (laughs) wants a girlfriend.
4: Dylan's not ready for a full-time job. He can't live alone because cooking remains a challenge. And he still needs help managing his long list of medications and taking care of his wounds, which are still healing.
21: Ow. Ow. Okay.
4: Joseph Giacino concedes there are parts of Dylan's brain that will likely never recover. Okay. But what Dylan's case suggests, he says, is that for some people, being in a vegetative state may not be as persistent as it was once thought.
19: The evidence is that for somebody with a disorder of consciousness, the condition is not going to be considered permanent until a year. And now with this most recent data, we know that the small percentage, maybe 15%, will actually recover after one year.
4: His amazing journey has surprised everyone, his friends, his family, and his doctors. The only person not surprised by it all... Is Dylan Rizzo himself? You sort of knew that you were gonna get better, didn't yeah,
19: you? Yeah, I, I, I was guaranteeable. It's like I'm getting better, and that's it. I just keep going. That's how, That's what I always say. Just keep going. That's it.
0: Every time I put a little hair clip in her hair, it would fall out almost immediately. Next.
21: And I told him it's so easy. You just take one. Buy a hair. First one, go under, over, under.
1: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: The clueless dad out of his depth when dealing with his kids is a pop culture mainstay. Steve Hartman has met a real-life dad who managed to turn that image around by a hair.
18: Phil Morghese of Daytona Beach, Florida, has always been good with his hands on guy stuff. But when it came to the finer points of styling his daughter's hair, Phil admits
0: he was about a court low. Because every time I put a little hair clip in her hair, it would fall out almost immediately. There with you, bro. Yeah. What were you sending her out looking like? Uh, she used to wear a
18: lot of hats. <laughs> Phil is obviously a single dad, and he hated that he couldn't put in a measly clip. Let alone a four-strand braid. All right.
21: He wanted to learn it, like really badly, and I told him it's so easy. You just take four strands. This
18: is his daughter, strand, Emma.
21: Under, over, what Emma
18: didn't realize about her dad, or most dads for that over. matter, wait, wait, you lost me. Is that the Y chromosome makes us follically challenged?
21: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Daddy, I'm gonna do a three-strand braid. Just back off.
18: <laughs> At that point, a lot of guys would have given up, but not Phil. He watched a ton of YouTube videos, and when he eventually mastered it, a light went off.
0: Something as simple as sending your daughter out and her being proud of her hair and you being proud of your work, it's a beautiful thing, you know? The purpose of the class is just to go through the basics.
18: To share that feeling, Phil now gives free styling lessons to other like-minded dads. Grab the hair. Daytona Beach Police Officer Kevin Pedry is a fairly typical client. This is a lot harder than what I do normally. Kevin says arresting crooks is a cakewalk compared to capturing a ponytail. Okay, we'll start over. But Phil presents it in a way even the most macho man can understand. It's like wrapping a rubber band around an extension cable. And by the end of this lesson in Girly Girl 101, (laughs) their styling skills are second to bun. Wrapping the braid around the ponytail itself. Although Phil says the real reward has nothing to do with hair. That's excellent time to
0: sit there and just talk about your day.
21: Yeah. My dad has a, a motto, it's not about the bun, it's about the bond. Or it's not about the braid, it's about the bonds. Or anything that has B and then bond. B,
18: yeah, it kind of works, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever the marketing, it's a success. Since launching the class in October, lots of other dads have started workshops in Pennsylvania, Texas, even the Netherlands. What more can I say?
21: The only question you haven't asked is, have I ever done a hairstyles on a, a cat?
18: You're right, I left that one out. Have you ever done a hairstyle on a cat?
21: Well, no.
3: <laughs> I should have quit when I was ahead. Rachel, get your gun. Rita Braver spent some time with cable news host, Rachel Maddow. Just ahead, and later, a quiz.
20: Which is the largest of the Great Lakes?
14: It's Lake Michigan. Yeah, it's Lake Superior.
20: It's said on the internet, Lake Michigan.
14: Probably some guy from Michigan.
10: Congratulations, Republican Party. You now, as of today, have a new
12: all-time fan favorite. Ta-da! It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Charles Osgood. There's
3: rarely any doubt where Rachel Maddow stands on an issue. She's a cable news headliner, and Rita Braver has been watching her in action on the air and off.
10: Oh, this is a beautiful gun.
11: So maybe you wouldn't expect the woman wielding the Colt 45 pistol or the AR-15 rifle to be unabashedly left-leaning Rachel Maddow.
10: I'm a real liberal even on like gun safety and, Mm -hmm. and gun control issues. Um, That said, I think that shooting is fun, and I think that shooting ranges are an excellent place to both learn about guns and to freak your friends out.
11: (laughs) Indeed, as the host of her own MSNBC show...
10: There is a laundry list of rules around gift-giving and receiving for politicians.
11: Rachel Maddow delights in doing the unexpected.
10: A story about which it is starting to become inconceivable that nobody has gone to jail or been impeached or been recalled from office.
11: For example, she's credited this as one of the first part, national journalists to spotlight the male. lead in
10: drinking water crisis in Flint, Michigan. A local doctor started studying blood samples from kids in Flint. Her results were scary and stunning.
11: Spooling out the story as she usually does in a long, around.
10: impassioned the monologue. The kids of Flint, Michigan have been poisoned by a policy decision.
11: Her goal? To make you really listen. Under your watch, Governor,
10: through the actions and You
11: tell, tell of who... me you're never going to guess
10: what happened. Yeah. And then I have to sit there and find out what happened. Storytelling is fun. Storytelling is fun for me. But I also think when you are telling a good story, it sinks in more. That's a more influential way to to communicate information rather than just reading the news.
11: Rachel Maddow is anything but a cookie-cutter cable anchor. Take her on-air wardrobe, a rack of drab
10: blazers. It takes me about 15 seconds to get dressed because I only dress from the waist up. And so those jeans are, those jeans These are, are these are, These will be a permanent part yeah, of process. these will the process. be what you
11: underneath. It's like a mullet. It's, it's business upstairs,
10: party downstairs. <laughs> Welcome to The Rachel Maddow Show here on MSNBC. Uh,
11: we are and of course, there's the gay. fact we'll that in 2008, she became the first tonight, openly uh, gay, gay American to, to host girls. a national news show. Did you ever ask yourself, are they ever going to give me my own show? I mean, look, I'm gay. Nobody's ever done this before.
10: It, you know, it's funny. I don't know. I I came out when I was 17. Now I'm 42, so I never lived an adult day of my life as either a straight person or a closeted person. That's been a baseline truth about what you're getting when you get me. But they made the gamble with me, and I've tried to I've tried to be worthy of the of the confidence.
11: Raised in California, Maddow graduated Stanford University and went on to win a prestigious Rhodes Scholarship. She ended up in Western Massachusetts, working on her doctoral dissertation and taking odd
10: jobs. I remember applying to a video store, this is when we still had video stores, applying to a video store and not getting the job. I was like, oh, you know, it was sorry." It
11: was doing a yard work job in 1999 that she met her partner, Susan McCullough. They've been together ever since. You've made a personal decision thus far not to get married. Don't want to rock the boat? It's private.
10: You know what, it's just sort of, it's a private, uh, there's a lot about my relationship with Susan that we just keep to ourselves, you know? And so I I have a strong feeling on equal rights. I'm an unabashed advocate that people in this country should have uh, equal access to the rights and privileges of citizenship. But in terms of what that means for my own relationship, eh, that's my own relationship. And Rachel says Susan, Who didn't want to speak
11: on camera is the one who helps her deal with a difficult and recurring problem depression do you have a strategy for coping with it or does it just go away on its own
10: Um, the time when it's just its hardest is when i have forgotten that this happens to me and so i don't know what it is and she will say you were depressed and just being able to identify it and then knowing that um, it's not gonna be forever and that it will pass and that it will ease at some point, helps.
11: The two share this Manhattan know, apartment. Years
10: ago. What was this place before it became it was, an apartment? It was actually a paper storage facility, like a paper storage warehouse. And so the, the beams, they all, all the beams are original and they have numbers on them, we think, because that was part of the way they sorted the inventory. It was like, get me that stack of whatever over by beam 58. And it's so nice the way you have this, this dog place this stuffed dog. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Charmy. Hello. Hi, Charms. Oh, this is Charms. God. He's 10 months.
11: In fact, Maddow says she never expected to end up in New York. It was back in Massachusetts that she heard a local
10: radio host needed a new sidekick. It's minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> it's early morning before I go do my other jobs. And they hired me on the spot. <laughs>
11: She did so well that by 2005 she was hosting a daily radio show on the liberal Air America network.
10: I am Rachel Maddow and this is The Rachel Maddow Show, Air America Radio's new front page. Soon she was in demand as a liberal talking head on cable news. All we're doing is talking about his race. And so clearly his race is enough to be a major factor in his candidacy. Doesn't it look
11: like you might win me in
10: roulette?
11: (laughs) Which in turn led to MSNBC offering her a show of her own. And it is her own. The
10: issue of Sanders' path. Does anybody think that this is a story that we can add something useful to at this point?
11: She leads her daily staff meeting in part like a general plotting a battle. I'm about to say speak now or hold your peace. Anything else? And like a general, she is clearly in charge of what happens on
10: her watch. I have worked with producers who expected that they would set the tone of the show and that I would follow along, and that has not worked out.
11: (laughs) What has worked out is that Maddow has the top-rated show on MSNBC though she ruefully admits she's still beaten by Fox's Kelly file. Still, Rachel Maddow has become a face of her network, on the election set and even moderating a Democratic debate with NBC's Chuck Todd.
10: We are going to begin tonight with Senator Sanders.
11: Though it was some post-debate hugs that drew
10: conservative ire, Maddow claims Sanders started it. But if I'm going to hug him, I better hug her. The die was cast. As soon as he went like this, it was over. Have so. you sworn off hugging now?
8: Oh, no, I'm a hugger.
10: <laughs> Watch, when, you, when this is over,
11: I'm going to sneak up on you and give you a hug. I am not but Meadow is you. really embracing now, the current political this. Yeah, drama. This is <laughs> what do you make of this
10: year? Um, everybody thought this was going to be a boring year. And this is the universe giving that a one-finger salute. <laughs> <laughs>
11: It has kept Rachel Maddow on the run, literally. This is the nightly dash to makeup up. And on to the
10: set just minutes before her show starts. I do feel like I'm a like racehorse ready to go, ready to sprint. Doing a job that she still she can't believe a- she gets to do. And by the time that camera comes on, it's like we're getting shot out of a gun. I love it every night. I love it. Donald Trump says Republicans should love the idea of him at the top of the ticket.
14: Ahead. Do you know what the capital of Mauritius is? Port St. Louis. Port Louis, oh. yeah. Mo Rocca oh. meets
3: the kid who geography put on the map. Where in the world can you find a school kid who seems to know every spot on the globe?
20: Oh, Mo Rocca has the answer. What's the only great lake that doesn't border Canada?
14: Lake Michigan.
20: What's the largest lake of the Great Lakes?
14: Lake Superior.
20: No, everyone thinks it's Lake Superior because it's called Lake Superior. It's Lake Michigan.
14: Yeah, it's Lake Superior.
20: It's said on the internet, Lake Michigan. Probably
14: some guy from Michigan.
20: For the record, he's right.
14: Akhil, you ready? Of ready.
20: course he's right.
14: Name the world's smallest country
11: in area. Vatican City. That is correct. That's
20: because 15-year-old Akeel Recalapelli of Virginia, Virginia. was the 2014 Argentina? winner of the National we Geographic Bee.
14: Akil, you are a winner.
20: When did your love for geography begin?
14: So when I was around 18 months, I love putting puzzles together, and my parents got me a puzzle of the United States. By the time I was three or four, I knew the states and most of their capitals. I just loved the subject, and I think that's what drove me throughout the whole
21: competition. Congratulations, Akil.
20: To win the B and its $50,000 in scholarship money, Akil studied hard.
21: Which state is the westernmost in Longitude?
20: With some guidance from his little sister, Anika. Alaska.
21: Which mountains have the higher elevation, the Sierra Nevada or the Ozark Mountains?
14: Sierra Nevada. One misconception a lot of people have about geography is that just memorizing what the capitals are of each country, but that's only one really small part of this diverse subject. It entails culture in those places, the food, the music, the language.
11: Akil, couscous is sometimes served with seafood in what
16: African capital city? Tunis. That is correct.
17: There was a great article I read yesterday about the geography of baseball and the influence that different teams have across the country and how wide their influence spreads. It's all geography.
20: Michael Tischler is head of the National Geospatial Program at the U.S. Geological Survey in Reston, Virginia.
17: Geography to me is the study of of what connects people to a place. It's not just physical geography, where mountain ranges are and things like that. It's really all the things that tie a person to a particular location and what helps give them their identity.
20: Tischler is the country's top civilian map maker.
17: We remap the entire United States every three years. So we do a third, a third, a third of the country. And why on earth would he do that? The world is undergoing really dynamic change. There's deforestation. The, the geography is changing. Yeah, exactly. And you have place names that are changing, boundaries that are changing. So the kid who says to you, why should I study geography? It's not going to matter in my life. I'd hit him upside the head. And I'd tell him to look at Google Maps and tell me how he would be able to get to any place without, a, without that information nowadays. Would you hit him upside the head with an atlas? <laughs> with a topographic map.
5: (laughs) Students of geography don't just memorize geography. You have to understand resources and how it impacts history. All of history is geography based. It's understanding the connections.
20: Just watch Akhil connect history with geography for his middle school teacher, Sonia Withrow. Where did your family come from?
5: My father was born in Suriname and my mother was born in the Netherlands and then my father immigrated and they met and um, I was made in the Netherlands and born in Hoboken, New Jersey.
20: Analyze that.
14: Suriname was ruled by the Dutch until 1975. That would explain the immigration part to the Dutch. And then New Jersey. We have quite a few Dutch people in New Jersey and New York, new York City was new, once New Amsterdam and once was Dutch. Who needs Ancestry.com when you've got a keel? That's right. <laughs>
20: This year's B, airing on National Geographic, May 27th, is being moderated by yours truly. I know the capital of every country in the world.
14: Oh, you know what the capital of Mauritius is?
20: Port St. Louis.
14: Port Louis, but oh, yeah.
20: okay, but I still get the point, right? Yeah, you do. Don't go easy on me. Hmm, maybe it's a good thing I'm not competing.
14: How about Vanuatu?
20: Oh, 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 the capital, it's, it's, don't, don't give me those island nations.
12: This is what the war in Vietnam is all about. First class on the Orient Express. A
3: salute to Morley Safer is coming
1: up. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: I'm Mike Wallace. I'm Morley Safer. We pause a moment to say thank you and farewell to our friend and colleague, Morley Safer who announced his retirement this past week after more than
12: 50 years with CBS News. Tarkuk Lasuria, a fit old man in his 94th year. And here we are, on board the good ship Dandahalu. Halu. Oh, is your wife here? <laughs> no, she's not. Great.
3: <laughs> Somehow, in the whirlwind of doing 919 reports for 60 Minutes,
12: he was only 23 when he made this self-portrait.
3: Morley found time to contribute dozens of pieces to Sunday morning over the years, most of them about the masters
12: of art. In 1890, age 42, Paul Gauguin, a merchant seaman, successful Paris stockbroker, full-time eccentric, and Sunday painter, was about to fulfill a romantic dream to go to the South Seas and cultivate his art in, as he called it, its primitive and savage state. Vienna at the turn of the 19th century, the twilight of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. No one captured that moment of opulent decadence the way Gustav Klimt did. Edward Hopper literally at six foot five, a towering figure of 20th century art in America. It was light he loved best. The Hodgkin's house in Gloucester. A woman in a bedroom. New York's 7th Avenue on an early Sunday morning. Tonight, it's Morley's Mastery that will be honored
3: when 60 Minutes presents Morley Safer, A Reporter's Life, a one-hour special.
6: I'm a 60-minute
3: We know all his friends here at Sunday Morning will be watching. I'm Charles Osgood. Please join us again next Sunday morning. Till then,
0: I'll see you on the radio.